Well, welcome everyone. I'm so glad that you're able to be here and joining us uh, for this special service of, of communion. To begin, as we think about our, our communion, we're going to be reflecting on Psalm 23. In particular, Psalm 23, verse 5. And as I was preparing for uh, th this message, I began to realize I started with Psalm 23, and then I realized, well, maybe we're going to just focus on verse 5, Psalm 23, verse 5. And then I realized by yesterday, I just had to focus on one, cent one line, uh, because we don't have a lot of time, and there's so much in this psalm. Psalm 23 is probably the most famous of all the psalms in the Bible, and there's good reason for it, because it is rich, it is full, and I believe that it's for you as it's been for me today. Join me in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we call upon you to feed us. We cry out to you that you would work in our hearts and that you would move for your glory. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would have your way and that we would see you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So you might want to keep our Bible open and look at Psalm 23. We'll be focusing on this particular phrase, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I like that. Why don't you, let's say that together. You repeat after me. You prepare a table before me, in the, of my in the presence of my enemies. Now, when you look at Psalm 23, these, there's six verses involved. And there are two major metaphors. The first metaphor is the metaphor of the shepherd and the sheep. And that's the, there's a journey going on in which we are the sheep following the shepherd and he's guiding us on this long spiritual journey. And then in verse five, the metaphor actually shifts. It goes from the metaphor of the shepherd and sheep and the psalmist begins to talk about a different metaphor, it's the metaphor of a host and a guest. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. All four of those lines are, are the language of hospitality. It's the language of God playing host and you and myself being in the role as a guest. Welcome to his table, his table which is plenteous and full. A table in which he takes you and he anoints you with oil to clean you up and to give you and refresh, refresh in you. And even so, your very cup is overflowing with the bountiness of the Lord. Let's first think about you prepare a table before me. Imagine there you are, you've been on a, a long journey and you knock on the door and the door swings open and there's the Lord. My son, my daughter, welcome. I've been waiting for you. What took you so long to come? And he brings you in and he takes off your coat and you're amazed as you walk in. The hearth from a cold day is full and warm. The, the table, the table is beautiful. It's outstanding. It, it's full of all of these delights. The wine has been poured. Many of the guests have already come and they're enjoying the presence of the Lord's house. 
and you can't believe that there, right there on the table, is your name. Your name written in beautiful calligraphy, sitting right there by a chair, all prepared just for you. My daughter, my son, welcome. I've been doing a lot of work. I've been preparing this table, and it's just for you. This language of you, I prepare, you prepare a table. Now, it's, it's a language of hospitality, but it actually, there's a track record in the Old Testament in which that language of a prepared table does not occur very often in the Old Testament. And in fact, there's just a few places in which we find a prepared table. And it gives us hints on what this psalm is talking about. We see it in Exodus chapter 40 and Leviticus chapter 24, and we don't have a lot of time. And, and I forgot to put on my clock just to start timing myself. Let's see. <laughs> Got to add a couple minutes there. So it only occurs a couple times in the Old Testament, about six times. And Exodus chapter 40 and Le Leviticus chapter 24, we don't have time to look at those texts, but it's about the priest who prepares a table, and it's a very specific table. It's called the table of the presence. The table of the presence. This table was about three feet long and about a foot and a half wide, and it was layered in gold, and it was placed within the tabernacle, and it traveled along with the tabernacle as the people of Israel wandered through the wilderness. And the table of the presence was placed within the tabernacle and specifically within the holy place. Remember, the tabernacle had two main sections, the holy of holies, where is the very center of the tabernacle, and then just outside of that was the holy place. And there were three pieces of furniture in the holy place, and one of the pieces of furniture was the table of the presence. The table of the presence. And the priests were commanded every Sabbath day to prepare the table, the very exact same language. And what would they prepare? They prepare bread. In fact, the Lord in Leviticus chapter 24 commanded the, the priests to every Sabbath day to prepare 12 loaves of bread. They were likely unleavened bread. 12 loaves, they were commanded to put three and a half pounds of very fine flour, and they made these 12 cakes of bread, and they were placed there on the table. In fact, uh, it's likely since the table was only three, uh, you know, if you take three and a half pounds of flour, these are really big cakes of, of bread. And most scholars believe that in order for that bread to have been arranged or prepared on the table, it was necessary for them to be, the text doesn't tell us, but it was necessary for them to be stacked. In, six pile, in two piles of six, and you had six cakes of bread that were there prepared and brought over to the Lord. And every Sabbath day, the priest would bring 12 fresh loaves carefully prepared. And, and at least in the rabbinic literature that came much later, the tradition was that there would be two priests on each side of the short part of the table. And because it was supposed to be a continual offering before the Lord, one priest would lift up the six loaves of bread, and the other priest would lift up the same six loaves. 
And immediately following, the other priest would bring in, who had, was the other two priests carrying the fresh bread, would put the bread down on the table. Almost an instantaneous removal and exchange. And you can imagine the priest, I'm, I'm imagining the priest being there saying, okay, one, two, three, go. Like a continual offering before the Lord. And then on the Sabbath, as they brought the fresh bread before the Lord, they removed the old bread. And this bread was not, was not burnt up in a burnt offering. It was actually, the Lord commanded the people to eat, the, the priests, and likely their families, to in, within the tabernacle area to eat the bread. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not too excited about eating seven-day-old bread. You know, it was probably as hard as a rock, uh, but actually the bread was likely made with oil. Again, the text doesn't tell us. It was likely made with a lot of oil, and then the oil would act as both a preservative for the bread, so that the mildew or uh, it, it wouldn't grow moldy, and it would also keep the bread moist. What was the bread called? It was called, it was called the holy bread in 1 Samuel 21. It's called the continual bread. Perhaps you've heard it. It's called the show bread. Or most often it's called the, the bread of the presence laid on the table of the presence. The bread of the presence, literally the bread of the face, which is to say that the bread was laid on the table and it was in the very presence of God. And you would imagine that that's got to be, I would want to eat that bread. If that bread had been placed right in the very presence of God, called the bread of the, pre the presence. I think it's interesting to discover that there's actually three types of symbolic bread at least three main types of symbolic bread that I'm aware of that occurs in the Old Testament. Does anyone know what, what they are? Shout it out if you know it. What's one? Manna, that's one. You got it. All right, what's number two? What? The unleavened bread. The unleavened bread, which was eaten on Passover, and then for seven additional days, it was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's the second sort of bread that occurs in the Old Testament that's symbolic. It's not, for, it's not primarily made for eating. It has symbolic, ritualistic, religious significance to it. And then here, the bread of the presence is the third type of bread that occurs in the Old Testament, carrying symbolic value to it, symbolic meaning. And as we come to this Lord's table tonight, all three types of bread are reflected in the meal that we have been given by Jesus in the New Testament. I won't talk about the manna and I won't talk about the, the bread of the unleavened bread of Passover. We can talk about those at some future day, but let's talk briefly about the showbread. What was it for? Why was it given? Well, again, in Leviticus 24 and Exodus 40, and it's talked about a few other times in the Old Testament, it was for the covenant, the covenant that God had made with his people. And so when you would make a covenant with people, the, you would have a meal, and you would share a meal. And so this showbread that was arranged by the priests was a bread uh, to remind all of Israel, again, 12 total 
loaves of bread representing all of Israel that was part of this covenant with, with, with the Lord. And it was a reminder that, of what the Lord had promised to all of Israel. It was a, eating this meal of the showbread or the bread of the presence was an act of mutual commitment between God's people and with God himself. Now it's interesting when we look at other types of religious bread that occurs in other religions around the ancient Near East. You can look at the Hittites, the Egyptians, the Babylonians, certain temple rituals in, uh, among Greek temp in Greek temples. They all have bread offerings, so apparently the Bible is not all that different, with one significant exception. And the exception is this, is that in all of these other religions, the bread was offered on a daily basis. The bread was offered in these other religious ceremonies every day. And it was a lot, typically it was a lot of bread. And what was being signified in that? Well, the most likely thing is what was being signified was that God was hungry. The gods were hungry. And they need to be fed. We need to feed the gods every day. And that was part of th these various religions. In fact, uh, there's a Greek comedy from about the third century BC in which the Greeks joked about in one of the, one of the temple of the gods in which the priests would run around in the middle of the night in the dark and they would grab the bread and throw it in a sack and it would disappear as if the gods had actually eaten it. They knew, many of them knew that that's not in fact what, what was happening. But in the Old Testament scriptures, there's no even attempt to think that this is an offering, a food offering to God for him to eat. Not at all, that's not what's going on. In fact, the Lord says in Psalm 50, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the fields is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world in its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? No. That's not the purpose of these ritualistic sacrifices, not at all. He goes on to say in Psalm 50, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform what you have promised to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. We're not feeding God. That's not the purpose of the, of the showbread. Well, if, then what was the purpose if it wasn't to feed God? Well, it comes back to this metaphor of hospitality, of the host and of the guest. Now, some of us don't practice this, but if you're a good guest, when you go to someone's house, do you come empty-handed? Well, if your mother taught you well, no. You're supposed to come, you know, with a bottle of wine or a box of chocolates, or we had some guests over recently and they brought us some caramel apples from their, home, from their hometown. You bring something special, something of, that's significant that comes from you. And that's actually what's going on with the bread of the presence that God had commanded. God is the host and Israel was the guest, the host in which Israel is bringing the bread each week. In fact, you know, you think about it, Israel was a host. God's people were were the guests constantly. They were continually guests. Now, I don't know how now about you, but 
one friend was sharing with me that they had some guests over for 10 days and they were delighted to have them, but they might have been even more delighted that they left. It's not easy to host people for so long, and yet the Lord, He invites us to this table for a continual banquet. He welcomes us into His presence. And that's what the purpose of the showbread was. It was a, it was a gift to the host. And like every good host or hostess, the Lord simply gives the gift back. If you bring a bottle of wine to your, to your, to your host, well, if the wine goes with the meal, the host opens the bottle and pours it out. And even though it was your gift to the host, you end up drinking it. Well, thank you very much. And that's exactly what is going on with the gift of the bread of the presence. As a, as a guest in God's house, that the Lord just gives it right back. It was only the priests in the Old Testament that could eat the bread, but that changed under Jesus, in which Jesus invites all of his followers to eat his bread. It's a gift. The bread is a gift of, just like in the Old Testament, a gift of his presence, in which he invites you to come and to eat. He desires to eat with you. In fact, he said to his disciples, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. And just like he earnestly desired to host his own disciples at this such a table, he even now earnestly desires to host you and me. But not only so, the banquet that he has prepared is his very self. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall, not, shall never thirst. And so he invites you. He invites you into his presence because he delights in you. Because he has made a covenant through Jesus with each one of us. We call it the new covenant or the new testament. And it is something that has been given to each one of us and he, in which he wants to fellowship with us. He wants to be one with us. I am their God, he says, and they will be my people. This is exactly what he wants from you and from me. But we are not to come empty-handed. So what did you bring tonight? This, this meal has been prepared. Have you brought anything for him? Did you bring any bottles of wine? You can put it right over there. Did you bring any uh, boxes of chocolates? You could stick it over there. I'm kidding. No, he doesn't want those things. He actually, in fact, only wants one thing from you and from me. I appeal to you, therefore, the Apostle Paul writes, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. You don't need to bring any other gift to the host than just yourself. In fact, that's the whole point of this meal. He wants to give you his presence, and he only wants you to give him your presence, your heart, your life. It's this wonderful feast of love, of mutual presence. So he's, scripture says, you prepare a table before me, but then it goes on. 
in the presence of my enemies. In the presence of my enemies. You see, this meal is a realistic meal. It's not just a, a pretend everything is good for now. No. The meal takes place in the presence of enemies. And this is the actual pattern that we see both in the Old and in the New Testament. When David was famished and truly hungry, on, on the run for his life, he and his soldiers went to the priests in Nob, where the, the tabernacle was, and he begged the priest for food. We don't have anything here. We just have the holy bread, the bread of the presence, which they weren't allowed to eat. But nevertheless, an exception was made. And the, the bread of the presence was given to David. And the scripture in 1 Samuel 21 says that there was a, an enemy of David that was even there who was spying on him, Doeg. And so even there, as this is a psalm of David, as he held the very prepared bread that had been given to him in 1 Samuel 21 by the, by the high priest, there he enjoyed it in the presence of enemies. But even so, it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who ate his supper in the presence of enemies. At the Last Supper, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I dipped it. And of course, he gave it to Judas. And immediately, the scripture says, Satan entered into him. And there we have the enemies. The theme of you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This theme of my enemies, it's actually quite common in the Bible. In in the book of Psalms, it occurs in 47 of the 150 Psalms, there's reference to the enemies. And it occurs, the word enemies occurs almost 80 times in those 47 Psalms. When you study the enemies in, in the Psalms, what, they're not literal. They're not primarily literal. The enemies, in fact, have no personal names. It's not Saul or Judas, it's not Harry or Sally or Donald or Hillary. The enemies are spiritual. And as the psalmists talk about throughout the psalms, they're opposed to God. They unjustly hate the followers of God. They cause massive destruction in our lives. Well, how do the enemies operate? Well, they do many things. I'll just focus on one of these. They cause anxiety. They tempt to create lies and doubt within you. In fact, Psalm 78, one of the few occurrences where we have the, the idea of a prepared table, Psalm 78, verses 19 and 20, it says, they spoke against God saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the water so that the water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread and provide meat for his people? Very same language. Can God spread a table in the wilderness? And out of the spirit of doubt, there's this question that God, he doesn't care. He doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you. He's made this table, but it's not effectual. It will do nothing for you. You don't want his presence. Come to another table, a table that will feed you and with sweet meats. He'll only disappoint you in the end. That's what the enemies say. But don't believe it. Not for one second. Because as you come to this table, all of us, 
Everyone come with enemies right on our heels. You can smell their breath. You can feel their talons as they scratch at your back and neck. They want to destroy and they want to lie and they want to create a lot of doubt so that you won't come to this table. They're determined to keep you away. And they want to tear away your faith. But you must remember that this is the table prepared for you. It's a table of love. It's a table of his commitment to you. It's the table of his presence in which he has already prepared it with you in mind. And he invites you. He invites you to come. One of my old enemies is the enemy of ego. Maybe you don't struggle with that, but that's one of my enemies. And as I've come into this new role as a pastor and overseeing this service, I've had to battle the questions around ego, and it's manifested itself in very specific ways. I thought I had taken care of that enemy a long time ago, but its, it's evil head has reemerged in my life over the last few months, and as I've been struggling with that, well, it was in fact the very last Lord's Supper that we celebrated right here, as I was praying in silence, knowing that this was something that was trying to grab me and hold on to me. I put my hands on the table and I laid it on this very table. And since then, the grip of that enemy has, I have felt it in very specific ways and how it's been loosened. I give glory to the Lord and he does, he meets us. In fact, the very night that I did that, I ran downstairs and ended up talking to someone, some congregants here, uh, two people uh, about that and was able to share a little bit about my struggle and even within that conversation and that very night I had a solution to deal with I won't tell you what it is it doesn't matter but the Lord works in his presence and at this table it's a communion table it's also a table of decision because you can come to the table and do business with God that's why we have it on a reoccurring basis which if you put your faith in the Lord, you're called to continually put your faith in the Lord. And so it's a table of decision. It says in 1 Corinthians, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. And so we're all called as we come to the table tonight to make a decision on who you're going to follow. And so... The scripture says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Well, when I came to this table five weeks ago, I proclaimed to my own enemy that Jesus Christ has died for me and that I don't need to live for my ego and for my own fame or fortune or I can lay it down, and so can you. What enemy are you struggling with tonight? Where are you battling? Where do you feel its breath wanting to destroy you and overtake you? As we go into our communion service in just a few moments, I'm going to invite you to come 
and to lay your enemies right here at this table. Because the promise is this, for though we go to a prepared table in the presence of the enemies, the scriptures promise that though the enemies are there in our very presence as we partake of the table, we can leave the enemies here. Because the Lord has done his work. He's faithful and good. He's dealt with the enemies through his death. And if you come with even the smallest amount of faith, I can only say you will see, taste and see that he is good. Lord Jesus, thank you for the covenant of this table in which you invite us to come and to enjoy your delights. Lord, we are aware of many enemies. We feel them. We know them in our life. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would do such a work and that my friends here would lay their enemies at this table. In Jesus' name, amen.